0: is Australia.
1: There's fucking language. Let there be a thousand blossoms bloom as far as I can see. But I ain't spending any time on it.
0: Just give me my belly up. Don't stop wearing the Speedos.
1: You're listening to Decode, the Batuta Advocates podcast series for those Australians who have tuned out or never tuned
0: in to the dark arts of politics. It's cold, Bean, you wouldn't believe it, a goddamn bloody adult.
1: Welcome back to Decode, the Potato Advocates political podcast. We talk all things politics. My name's Wendell Hussey. I've got Dior Dave with me once again. And this week we're speaking to an exciting guest. As we mentioned on last week's show, the New South Wales state election is coming up. Biggest state in New South Wales, our least favourite state. But we do have an obligation to cover what happens down there in New South Wales. And we, as an independent newspaper, like to talk to people outside of the major political parties. We like to speak to independent people who have different voices, different ideas, and don't necessarily have to toe a party line like the politicians in the major parties. So this week we are speaking to Judy Hannon, who is running... For the seat of Wallandilly out there in southwestern Sydney, I guess you'd say. Judy, thanks very much for joining us. Yeah,
0: thank you. So we're kind of on the, we're, we're semi rural. Uh, we have a lot of farms out this direction. So we're we're kind of sitting on the edge of the city.
1: Yeah, there's a bit of Campbelltown in there as well, isn't there? A bit of Barrel? No,
0: no Campbelltown, but definitely Barrel. Picton? Picton. Warragam- okay. Dam. Yeah, right.
1: Not too familiar with that part of the city. So it's a mixture of rural and then a mixture of some kind of urban setups. Is there kind of any particular characteristics of Wallendilly that make it different to any other seats around there?
0: Yeah, it's quite unique. So the seat of Wallendilly is as large as the whole Sydney metropolitan area, which has, I don't know how many electorates in there, but lots of electorates. So for us to get from one end to the other uh, can probably take you two and a half hours. And obviously the issues in the towns and villages, they're different as you shift from one end to the other. There are some things in common, but there's many different issues along the way.
2: Yeah, it looks like a beautiful part of the world. Yeah, you've got all the way up to the Blue Mountains there. Is that right? Got a bit of that?
0: We have got some of the um, the World Heritage Area out at Warragamba, which is under threat at the moment. But... Um, Yes, we do have some absolutely beautiful areas. We provide a lot of the food for the Sydney Basin, certainly with poultry and a lot of fruit and veggies come from this direction as well. Mm. Oh, lovely part of the world.
1: And now we're on the eve of a state election down there. How's it all looking for you? How are things shaping up as we head to the 25th
2: of March?
0: Look, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really excited about the fact we may get a change. For the last about 80 years here, we've had 73 of the Liberal government and seven of a Labor government. And really, because we're such a safe liberal seat, absolutely nothing has changed. The same promises are being made that have been made for 50 years before. You know, you see people when there's a promise and they go, oh, when I was a kid, that was on the board then.
1: You're too safe. You haven't seen any of the pork barrelling money over the last little while by the looks of
0: things. Oh, we've seen lots of pork barrelling promises. But when you actually listen to them, they're promises for planning. Mm -hmm. They're promises for... Um, if we get elected. So they're not, here's your money. Yeah, and it's, it's really unfortunate. I went to a group today and I took them a pavlova. I said, I can't give you a check or a, or a, <laughs> or a promise, but I can give you a pavlova to eat the morning tea.
1: Well, that's probably one. more concrete than any of the pork barreling promises they'll ever see. So um, at least they'll get a lovely pavlova out of it. That's right. Now, you're an optometrist by mm-hmm. profession, that's I believe. Correct. And you found your way onto local council? How did that happen?
0: So I had nothing to do with politics at all. And in 2004, there was a by-election in the seat of Auburn, which is where I had my practice at the time. And I ended up being picked up by the Liberals to be a candidate. After that, I realised, even though I didn't get elected, it was Bob Carr was the Premier at the time and we got a big swing. And I realised that you can actually get a lot done for an area just simply by standing and advocating And so I had a run at local government just as myself. Mm. And in those days, it was just a list of names and was elected.
2: Wow. And how did you see the kind of differences between running as an independent versus running for the Liberal Party? Was there a lot more attention directed away from your actual area when you were working in the party system?
0: So in the party system, I was very naive at that particular point in time. Um, I thought everybody liked everybody that was in the party and, you know, we're all there, rah, rah, you know, get, we're, we're an open, a broad church and we're going to look after everyone. Um, since then I realised the factional issues, um, not one faction or two factions or three, and that literally they all just do things to get up that ladder further and further. Fortunately, I've been an independent mayor for a long time and councillor. And I've actually been able to listen to people and what their opinions are and move on according to what I hear, not what I'm being told to do.
1: And I just wanted to ask you, you're running against a a guy called Nathaniel Smith. The last election, I believe you got 10,258 votes, which was about half as many as Nathaniel Smith, but a lot of preferences flowing to you. And I assume that'll be the same case. There'll be a lot of preferences flowing to you this time. Has there been any change in perspective from Nathaniel this time around? As in, he's maybe taking things a little bit more seriously?
0: Well, it's interesting, because last time he literally was parachuted into the seat, mm. um so that was a little bit of a plus for me, but I believe that people gave him a go, and they certainly like Gladys out this direction. But I believe it's actually perhaps worse for him this time round because they actually haven't delivered anything of any significance. People have been exposed to him and what he's done. And, you know, even the Premier was out here, something as simple as a boardwalk that was going to be delivered hasn't been. So I guess because of those reasons, I'm probably in a slightly better position. We actually ended up with 45% of the two-party preferred last time. Yeah. Um, they've chopped one of the areas that I won off in Appen has been chopped off the electorate. But, you know, so many people's votes were extinguished last time. That's some of the problem. People don't realise in New South Wales, if you don't vote through, the chances are your vote could end up in the bin before it comes down to the final two. So I'm trying to educate people, you know, vote all the way through in your preference. Tell us, you know, who you want if that person's not there. And that would make a big difference to me.
2: Yeah, well, you spoke briefly there about the popularity of Gladys in the state, which we were also discussing last week when we were doing our little preview show. Do you think that the tide has turned a bit on the Liberal Party and Perrottet isn't as popular? Do you think that when a lot of voters in your electorate go to the polls, they'll be thinking not just about you and Nathaniel, but about Dominic Perrottet and whether they want to see him still in power?
0: It's very interesting because people kind of have varying opinions, but people are not as passionate about either leader at the moment. I guess from the, uh, you know, people are saying, well, they definitely don't want to vote for our sitting member again. It's interesting, there's a couple of One Nation type people around and I'm trying to say to them, you know, perhaps you should vote for me to be your local representative if you want to continue voting One Nation on the big sheet of paper.
2: Well, you've got the orange on there, so, you know, you're dressed the part for it. (laughs) I know.
0: Just the way it happens. I've (laughs) always liked orange. Uh, One of my optometry practices had a bright orange wall. You know, I'm not going to change for any party because a (laughs) colour is a colour. Um, it's nothing more than that.
1: Speaking about colours, you have aligned yourself with a shade of teal. How did all of that come about?
0: Well, if you think about the fact that the three things that they push, um, I, you know, when people say, oh, are you teal? I say, well, I'm actually orange, but tell me what you think a teal is. And I think that word's been coined and sort of given a little bit of prominence by the parties, they're trying to infer it's a party, when in fact the things that they believe in, um, certainly gender equity, that's not equality, that's about giving everybody a fair chance. Looking after the climate, out here we've suffered bushfire and flood over and over again, so we definitely see that as an issue. And integrity, that's the big one for me. You know, we've got things like developments, a new process that's been put up by the state government to simply you wake up one day and the minister has just stamped for 15,000 houses to go ahead with no consultation with your council or your community. And in fact, we know that there's probably about another 10 in the area that the state government know about or the minister does and nobody knows where they are and they won't tell us where they are. And some of them have actually been approved before the guidelines were in place. So they're big issues for us.
1: And the other couple of issues there that you mentioned in in regards to gender equity, climate change and integrity, they were massive, massive issues in the last federal election last year. Mm -hmm. Do people still seem to be quite angry in Wallandilly about that on the ground?
0: I don't think gender equity is something that they actually think about. But, you know, up till two years ago, I was the only female across the whole of the electorate representing our community, Wallandilly Council. I was the only female on. In Windjarrabee, there were no females, and the state and federal, there were no female members. And like we've got a very diverse area here, mm. so I believe gender equity, giving, and you know, I try and encourage as many young women to have a go as possible into local government or state government. Um, I think that's a huge issue out here. I don't think people are angry about that. I think they're angry about the lack of infrastructure and the fact that we're ignored out here.
2: Mm, it does seem like with a lot of those, I wouldn't say fully regional, but semi-regional, what did I see it called the other day in an article, peri-urban. I haven't yes. heard that one before, but there you Peri-urban. They peri-urban, yeah. That's what yeah. we are. Well, it does seem with a lot of those kind of areas, not just Dilly, they seem to be forgotten by a lot of the major parties. And that's kind of prime territory for independents who, you know, are on the ground more actually talking to the people to strike.
0: Yeah, well, if you think about the um, the West invest money, 15 councils were in the barrel that we were in. and. There was one point six billion dollars to be shared and we got less than one percent of the money. You know, where's the, the fairness in that? And money went to things like Penrith got another two hundred million for another sports arena and
1: And is that that's that must be to do with the fact that I think the Penrith member is Stuart Ayres and he's on a razor thin margin there, isn't he?
0: Well, yes, and, and not only that, but he's pushing an issue in our area. So the Warragamba Dam is in our electorate mm. and he's saying if they raise the dam wall, which Perite says he's going to do 14 metres, he says they'll be able to build many houses downstream. So they're going to raise the dam wall not to collect any more water, not one drop more, in fact. They want to just collect the water when there's a flood on and then let it out slowly. But by doing that, they'll actually make some of the, the birds in the area extinct. They'll probably wipe out some of our koalas and they'll definitely wipe out indigenous art that's that's been there for obviously a long, long time. And once that's gone, it's it's gone for good.
1: But by the same token, Stuart Ayres would be saying that it would make some developers quite happy to install that uh, dam wall, I imagine.
0: Well, he's not saying that. Um, I'm sure that's what the outcome will be. He's pretending to an extent that that will stop flooding downstream, but there are other rivers that come in anyway. So the likelihood is of flood. And let's have a look. For example, Lismore at the moment, we're buying back houses that have being built in flood zone. Why would we continue to build houses in flood zones?
1: Yeah, it you doesn't know? seem to make a lot no of sense. sense. Yep. So your relationship with the Teals, I was curious to know how that comes about. Obviously, you've been running as an independent, you've been involved in local government for a long, long time. Mm. You're a, an important community figure there. Do they reach out to you? Did you reach out to them? How did it come about and um, what sort of support did they offer?
0: Yeah, so I suspect that it kind of happened um, organically, but... We had a teal independent run in the federal election, and there was some discussion around that. I have to say, I I don't know enough about federal politics or federal policy to dabble in that sort of area. I only know my state and local stuff. So, uh, whilst she ran, I was really happy to give any help that I could. Yeah, and. I would help anyone, no matter what party you were running. If you're running and standing up for something, I'm more than keen to help. So while she was running, I started to speak to some of the people there uh, and learn a little bit about it. So I guess there was connections there. They've been very, very helpful in strategic type areas and they've made me some videos, which has been absolutely amazing because You know, I'm just me out here and I'm not good at making videos. Um, Especially I'm a bit quirky and a bit funny. So to be able to take some of those quirkiness of me and wrap it into a a video to show people who I am and what I am without making a fool of myself, that was really, really beneficial. So I have to say I've enjoyed meeting some of those um, teal candidates. They're extremely intelligent women who are absolutely passionate about their communities and about looking after the place. So I've really enjoyed that and I've enjoyed meeting some other independents along the way. So hopefully there'll be a whole pile of them get in, even if it's not me. And, you know, I'll be cheering for each one of them as, as the election night results come in.
2: Yeah, I do think it's always interesting within, I guess, the teal infrastructure, the bigger names and stories you hear talked about, I would say are the ones that are... Closer to the coast, closer to the major cities in those seats where it's probably a lot more condensed in terms of population. And a lot of these candidates will really talk up the pro-business aspect of it and maybe less so the, well, certainly the environmental when it comes to climate change. But in terms of on the ground, dealing with the environment around them in their electorate, it's very different to what you deal with. Do you see a mm. lot of, I, I wouldn't say stereotyping, but when people think teal, they don't necessarily think of your area. So how do you deal with that? Yeah,
0: I, I try and ask people, well, you know, people say, are you teal? Well, I'm not teal, but I do believe in the same things and I do have the same values that they have. Certainly in my area, we have coal mining and I'm not about to shut that down. But I am concerned that at one point in the future, coal mines will just shut down and then we'll have a huge amount of unemployment in the area. So I'm very keen to see some transformation into what sort of industry we and jobs we have in the area. So, you know, it is different, but at the same time, it is about looking after our environment to an extent. But as I said, I'm not about to shut anything down and I don't get other than good political party propaganda, what the issue is. They've never given these really smart women a go. And, in fact, I saw a female politician the other day from the Liberal Party and I thought, I don't know who you are, and I went to look it up. And, like, there's only 13 women to go through, so it's not like you had a whole whole lot of range. And the only reason they're putting women up is to show that they're good and that they've got gender equity or equality, they're not putting them there because they're the smartest and the best for the seat. And that's probably frustrates me more than anything because the women that are standing in those till till groups, they far outstretch any of the candidates they're running against.
1: Yeah, and it's it's an interesting one that the heels get hit with the sledge about basically taking yeah money from Climate Two Hundred, but as you pointed out, you know they're giving you the resources to be able to do promotional videos to run campaigns, exactly like someone running uh, for the Labor Party or the Liberal Party or the Greens would have. It's just providing facilities and resources to an independent person in a seat rather than someone running for a major party. Equity. Yeah, equity. It's giving
0: everybody the same chance. Yeah,
1: giving everybody the same chance and, yeah, people with different voices as well. But I did want to know, you're talking about coal mines there, you're not calling for coal mines to be shut down. With that support that is being offered by Climate 200, what kind of relationship do you have to have there? Does there have to be conversations about different things? Do you get pushback on anything in particular?
0: I've had no pushback about anything. Um, I certainly don't want any new coal mine licences being given out out here and I'm very happy to see some of the gas wells being shut down. I advocated to stop uh, coal seam gas out here quite a few years ago. But as far as the teal, I have no promises to anyone in that organisation other than I will work for my community, solely for my community and what they want.
1: How many times a day do you have to tell that to people on the street or at different meetings you go to?
0: Yeah, a fair bit. But you know what? People ask more. They say, where are your preferences going? Where are your preferences going? And they seem to think I have this unbelievable magical talent that if they vote for me, that I'm going to magically make their vote go off to who knows where. Um, People need to realise that, you know, if they vote in the Legislative Assembly, It's up to them, they can number as many as they want and I encourage them to number through, but they're the only ones that can actually direct their preferences. Mm,
2: I'm sure that's just a little bit more of that major party propaganda pulling Mm -hmm. through, you know, vote for teal, you might get green, vote for (laughs) labor, you might get green, vote for green, you might get liberal from all the sides, really, it seems like.
0: I mean, last time they put out a brochure on the last week and I'm, I'm waiting to see what they do again. And it just said a vote for Judy Hannon and you turned it over, it says a vote for Labor and it had all the Labor policies and things that were wrong. So, um, you know, how do you, this time it's a vote for me or be a vote for the Teals or something else. They'll just say whatever they want. And this gets back to integrity. Mm. There should be some truth. In political advertising,
1: it's funny that a vote for Judy Hannon is a vote for Labor when you are getting more primary votes in your electorate than the Labor Party. I think you could flip it the other way around. I guess they're trying to allude to on a more statewide level. But yeah, it's interesting that you're getting more primary votes in the electorate and, of and than the Labor Party.
0: I think what they're mostly worried about is the number of Liberals that will actually not vote for the Liberal Party and will vote for an independent. And they're trying to convince the Liberals that voting for an independent may not go back to them. Mm. Um, so I think that's the vital point for them. Yeah. yeah.
1: Now, you live in a property on Teresa Park, and I was just doing a little bit of reading up on your website. I noticed there's something where you said you love the wombats and the birds that share your home, but you get upset when goannas steal your chicken eggs. Is it a euphemism for something? Is there something in there or is it just a, just a pot shot at goannas well, who come and steal your eggs? I
0: don't, I don't know, but even they steal the galah and the cockatoo eggs. You know when the galahs and cockatoos are going balmy at the trees and screeching, there's usually a giant goanna that's crawled up and I just feel sorry for them. And I know the goanna's got to eat um, as well, but I'd prefer to go to Woolies and buy the eggs and put them than have them eat the... Um, the eggs that are homegrown, <laughs> so as to speak.
2: Do the goannas have a preference on uh, free-range eggs or caged eggs? Do they seem to care?
0: Well, the cages are much easier for them to get to. Um, my chook eggs are lower on the ground and they manage to get in there. They drop in. They're quite large. They're about four foot long, these guys. Or they can go straight up a tree and... Go for the um the cockatoos and galahs eggs. Mm.
1: And and look, don't answer this question if it might get you into trouble. But what happens when the goanna is in the chook pen? Would would you, anything particularly happen you or your Ooh, husband I run out a, there?
0: Or I keep away if I can. Um, you know, uh, one of my dogs had a bit of a run in with a goanna, and when it bit, the goanna bit the dog on the neck or scratched it it got really, really infected. So it ended up having to have surgery to cut all that area away. I heard those as kind of a myth, but I now realise that it must be the dirty claws or... or Yeah, yeah, all the
1: bacteria and um, (laughs) bits and pieces that are in there. But your husband's a veterinarian? Yes. That would have come in handy. I imagine you wouldn't have had the uh, quite large... He won't operate on his own. (laughs) Won't he?
0: No, he gets too sentimental. He just prefers other people to...
1: Ah, there you go. Because I thought that was always one of the rules for vets, that you can't get too sentimental with animals.
0: Well, they do. I think most vets would get sentimental with animals, but they particularly get sentimental with owners that are, you know, in those difficult situations with animals that are, you know, at yeah. end of life or things like that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And he's a veterinarian. You're an optometrist. Are you aware of any other optometrists in state or federal politics? I feel like it's the first time I've heard someone in the world of politics coming from the world of optometry. I know there's overwhelming um, majority of lawyers in state yes. and federal politics, but are there any optometrists getting around?
0: I don't know that there are. I've, I've seen a lot of them on local government because they're usually... They're an interesting bunch, actually. Optometrists tend to be very risk-averse, very careful-type people and considered. So maybe that's why there's not many of them in politics. Maybe they just like to do what they do and do it well.
2: Mm. And have you so far resisted the urge in all your campaign materials to go with something like looking towards a brighter future? A seeing fresh set of eyes. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot well, that you could work that, with there.
0: That was really funny because uh, my opposition last time kept saying, I've got a fresh set of eyes, I put a fresh set of eyes over everything. But he also said things like it was going to drain the swamp and, um, you know, go to Trump and all of that sort of thing. The biggest thing this time that's gone down like a lead b- balloon was they asked a set of candidates for them, whether we support selling off Sydney water. And nearly every candidate whacked up no very quickly But the two liberals that were there went, oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's been this time's famous sort of spot of of issue. Mm, I Uh, did see
2: that video. I think a lot of, well, the two candidates you mentioned, they're kind of peeking around the side to see what everyone else put up. Just like mm -hmm. back in school when the teacher would ask a tough question and you weren't sure whether you (laughs) wanted to put your hand up like everyone else or not.
0: Yeah, and I I mean, really, if you're going to make that sort of decision, be proud of it, own it, don't don't sort of do this sort of shuffle and hide it and then finally own up to it. Mm. Just do it and say what it is.
2: It's kind of a bit of a giveaway when they don't really have confidence in their own decisions and policies, isn't it?
0: Correct. Yep.
1: Now, Judy, for the big day, whereabouts will you be set up? Obviously, I'm assuming you'll be around some voting booths, but on the night of the 25th uh, of March, what does that look like? Yep.
0: We're going to go down to Picton Bowling Club. Um, there's Pheasants' Nest do catering down there, so everybody will be able to get a nice hot meal. We've got a large area at the back of the club, so we're not annoying anybody else. And um, we'll watch some telly and some results come in and see what happens. And then I think everybody will be after a fairly early night.
1: Uh, surely. What if if you come through, if you come good... And you get it over the line. I mean, it may may take a couple of days. It's, it looks like it's projected to be pretty tight there. But if surely, if on the night it starts looking like you've won the seat of Wallandilly, it might Can stay you. for an extra couple. I know bowling clubs don't go too late, but surely, if it starts looking good,
0: uh, we'll just we'll just work hard up till then and see what happens. Um, I don't drink very much at all, but they do tell me they're going to encourage. A drink on that night, but I'll be so tired. I think by then I'll probably just fall down without any any alcohol assistance.
1: <laughs> Fair enough, Judy. Well, look, a couple of local bowling clubs around here have started doing the seltzer thing, tapping into the youth market. They seem to peel off the older green, the not very good green, and that put some tables out there and get the young kids out there having seltzers. So I'd recommend that if you want to pick me up and you want to celebrate, a couple of nice seltzers on the 25th of March that could be sounds
0: the appropriate thing.
1: Could be a great way to celebrate. Yep. Anyway, thanks very much for talking to us and um, we'll keep an eye on the seat down there in Wallandilly.
0: Yep, thank you very much and I hope you guys have a really good afternoon.
2: Thank you very much. Good luck for everything ahead.